0: Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast Radio.
1: When Julie O'Neill from Join the Dots started working in the public sector at seventeen years of age, she never imagined the illustrious career that would follow. Since leaving the public service, she has successfully transitioned to the corporate world, having secured a number of high-profile non-executive directorship positions. And she joins me on the phone now. Julie, I know that you're a very proud Wexford woman, but I would like to start the interview by talking about your time in the public service.
0: Good morning, Carla. Yes, I am a proud Wexford woman. I left Wexford in 1972, uh, barely turned 17 years of age to join the civil service. Uh, fully intending to only stay for a couple of months. Uh, I never really saw myself as as being a, a civil servant uh, for life. And somehow or other, I managed to spend uh, 37 years in the Irish uh, civil service. And <laughs> over that time, I worked across eight government departments. So I really, I, I have to say, I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to the Irish public service for the opportunities it gave me uh, over that time. If, if you go back to when I joined the Irish civil service in 1972, the marriage bar was still in place. So really the expectations of a young Wexford woman leaving school, heading to the Highlights in Dublin was not for a career that would see herself reaching the very top um, of the system there. I did as as much by chance and good opportunities uh, along the way. Across that time, I worked initially in the Revenue Commissioners. I worked in what was then the Department of Public Service in in management and consultancy and and, um, training and leadership within the the uh, civil service for the wider senior civil service. Then I worked in the Department of Social Welfare for a number of years where I was the Press and Information Officer uh, and looked after all the voluntary and community supports of that department. I then went on to head up the Office of the Tánishter when Dick Spring was Tánishter uh, uh, and very much developed the Deputy Prime Minister role. And, of course, that gave me... a a huge opportunity to be right at the heart of, of one of those coalition governments, um, which actually became the rainbow government in its time. And subsequent uh, to that government, I then moved uh, to take responsibility for tourism and parts of the sports portfolio in the Department of Tourism, Sport and Recreation. And finally, then I was made Secretary General, first of all in what was the Department of Marine and Natural Resources, from 2002 to 2009, for those seven years, I headed up the Department of Transport and had a budget of about £34 a year.
1: How did you use that experience when you entered the corporate world?
0: Okay, yeah, I think what I learned most in the public service was the importance of taking a really broad view on the challenges that you're facing when you're trying to bring about change. In the public service, you deal with very, very complex issues and you deal with them usually across a range of government departments and state agencies. And it teaches you, I think, to take a very broad view and to see what the kind of challenges are that cut across all those areas and to see where some of the linkages are between them. And and as I said to you, I never really intended to be a civil servant. So when my time came to end uh, my term, my seven-year term as Secretary General, I was really glad of the chance To go out into the corporate world, into the private sector, to see if the kind of skills I had learned might be relevant, might add value and might bring something by way of a fresh perspective. Working with big um, corporate uh, firms in the private sector who understandably will have a much more specifically focused view on their particular business.
1: And how did those two worlds compare?
0: I must say I have really enjoyed stepping into the corporate world and into the private sector because one of the problems in the public sector sometimes is it can be quite hard to measure success. You don't have the easy, obvious profit motive uh, to drive you. You're trying to deal with a whole wide range of of, of issues at, at the same time. So I find the clarity that you get sometimes in the private sector and um, very refreshing, very focused on what pop- Their job is to do in their company, in their firm, and really everything else is a bit of an irritation that gets in the way. And and that leads to enormous focus. And the other thing that I would have noticed in the private sector um, is speed of delivery. Good private sector companies um, are good at moving fast and they're good at being flexible and they're good at being responsive to change. The public sector of its nature is a very, very big beast and and it's always been a a challenge to get change to happen as fast as you need it uh, to happen. So what I love about working with private sector companies is watching their versatility and their responsiveness. At the same time, I hope what I bring to those tables and is an understanding uh, of the wider um, political and social and economic context in which every firm operates.
1: And having spent so much time working in the public sector at the highest level possible, what's your approach to risk?
0: (laughs) I I suppose traditionally public servants will tend to be risk-averse, but if you're completely risk-averse, you will never earn reward. So I think one of the things that I have learned, actually, from working with the private sector, is my own ability to take um, measured risk and and recognizing, I suppose, the appetite for risk in whatever entity I'm working with. Um, and and uh, you know you know there there are certain things you can't take risk with. You can't take risk with safety, for instance. Uh, if you're in the aviation business, you can take risk in terms of setting up new routes as to whether they're success or failure. But you do not take risks with the safety of your passengers. Likewise, if you're in the financial services sector, uh, there's a very, very strongly developed risk framework now arising out of what happened in the financial crash. So uh, financial institutions have become understandably and appropriately very risk averse. That has consequences as well when you're trying to develop business. So I've got used to working, I suppose, with um, entities in the private sector, that work in a regulated environment, whether that regulator happens to be the central bank or whether it's an aviation regulator. You know, there is somebody else out there watching and part of the job of being a director on the board of a private sector company is um, to make sure that you understand what the risk appetite is of that particular company and how uh, you work with them to ensure that that that, that uh, everything is being delivered within that risk appetite.
1: And Julie, when you left the public service, did you have a specific plan in mind?
0: When I left the public service, Carla was a bit like jumping off the edge of a, a cliff. As I say, I went in at 17 years of age, uh, and uh, really it had become my world in many ways. And 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 there is a thing that when you when you work at the heart of of government, you tend to be in that little area around Kildare Street and around Marion Street and around government buildings, and you know nearly everybody you bump into every day. And all of a sudden, I went from being that person who was the Secretary General of a government department, to literally overnight, and my, I took my last phone call, which happened to be about an issue with Aer Lingus, from my minister at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, not quite as late as that, but nearly 2 o'clock in the morning I retired, and then you're gone, you're out, and it's over, and you have to kind of start all over again and say, now what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And, and what I did initially was I said, well, look, what I, you know, I'll set up... a um, a small consultancy business called Join the Dots. And and that was about how might I be able to work with people across that divide of of the public-private and the not-for-profit sector. And and, uh, I I used that as an opportunity uh, just to develop an insight into what some of the big challenges were at the time. Bear in mind that this was 2009, 2010. We were were still in the middle of, of the financial crisis and just beginning to emerge from that. And as often happens in life, one thing led to another and I began to be approached to ask would I go on the board of of various companies. So the first one to approach me was Ryanair. And as you can imagine, that was for me a really exciting challenge to go to work uh, with a company that I I would have been on the other side of many an argument with uh, in my time in the Department of Transport. Uh, And I also got then asked to join the board of, of Permanent GSB Um, which I did with some reluctance initially because banking was still quite toxic at that stage. But I did feel that the people like me and others had to step forward and be part of trying to rebuild the reputation and the culture of banking after the financial crash Uh, and to support those people working within banks uh, like Permanent TSB who are doing their very best to respond to the needs of their customers and, uh, uh, and to rebuild the reputation and the services that the bank could offer.
1: And Julie, of course, you have held some very high-profile non-executive directorships over the last 10 years. When you were appointed as a non-executive director, what approach do you take to that particular role for the first three to six months?
0: Okay, Well, well, well the first thing is that the way I characterise the role of a non-executive director is like being a critical friend of the organisation. So you're not there to do the job of management. In many ways, you're there to hold management to account. So so what are the kind of things that you're interested in? You're interested in being sure that you fully understand the strategy of that company. And that strategy could be very different from one company to another. And you're there to challenge that and to make sure it's fully articulated and fully understood. You're there to scrutinise the performance of the company and by that I mean the financial performance and the people performance of of the company. So like in a number of, I'm I'm on one or two insurance boards as well and in those cases I would chair the audit committee. So you're you're scrutinising the financial information and making sure that it stands up uh, to scrutiny. Uh, And also very often I might be involved in the remuneration committee of a company, so I will be involved in in scrutinising and monitoring the performance of the senior executive team and the way in which they're rewarded. The other aspect you've already touched on, which is, is risk. Uh, you're satisfying yourselves that there's a good yourself that there's a good risk management and um, arrangement in place within the company. Um, and also then for anybody who's a director these days, there's a big focus on corporate governance and compliance. There's a lot of rules and regulations that have to be met, whether it's under the companies acts, whether it's as a result of, of regulations set by the central bank, or no matter what business you're in, you're going to find that there's quite a number of codes of practice that you as a director have a legal responsibility uh, to ensure compliance with.
1: And Julie, without naming names, what have you been most impressed with with working as a non-executive director with that group of
0: private companies? What I'm always impressed with when I see it is absolute clarity of purpose. So what I expect and want to see with any CEO or any senior management team is absolute clarity about objective and purpose. And what they're trying to achieve. The second thing I like to see is speed of execution. That, you know, you don't go round and round and round in circles for months or years on end trying to figure out what it is you're going to do. You decide what it is you're going to do and you focus relentlessly on doing that. Uh, and I think to me, they're two of the important things. And then, of course, I always look for what's the culture. And culture can vary from organisation to organisation. The culture, as you can imagine, in an airline could be quite different to the culture in a bank. It could be different in an insurance company. And as you know, I've recently taken on the role of of, uh, chair of the convention centre in Dublin. All of those will have their own unique culture. So what I'm looking for is is that culture fit far and appropriate to the purpose uh, of what we're trying to deliver in that business. And an ability, which has been very relevant, as you can imagine, in recent times, an ability to cope with crisis, To pick yourself up, to dust yourself off and say, right, this has happened, uh, now what are we going to do about it?
1: And in terms of the companies in which you sit on, as a non-executive director with today, Julie, how are they approaching this particular pandemic? And then secondly, what is their economic outlook?
0: I think what everybody does in a situation like this, in any company, is they say, first of all, we've got to manage through the current extremely difficult situation. And that means managing your cash and it means retaining your people that you need to have with you when you get out the other end. The second thing then is thinking strategically about, OK, things are changing. Things are very rough now. This will not go on forever. The one thing we know about every crisis that ever happened is it does not last and um, forever. Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it feels like that. But there will always be a lot of thinking going on about where do we want to be? At the other end of this, what none of us know at the moment, I think what's what's a, what's peculiar about this particular COVID crisis we're all in at the moment is nobody knows exactly how or when it's going to end. We can't put a deadline on it. We can't say with absolute certainty uh, when business will come back to normal, or even if normal will be exactly as it was before. So that means that you need to be thinking quite strategically and creatively about where you position yourself. And and I think of it as being positioned to be ready for the upturn when it comes and and harnessing your resources in the meantime so that you're ready for that opportunity.
1: And Julie, finally, you're someone that had no problem breaking through the glass ceilings, whether it was on the public or the private sectors. But what advice have you got for female entrepreneurs and female leaders and managers listening to this morning's show about how to navigate their way through to achieve those highest level positions?
0: You see, I don't know whether I had a problem breaking through the glass ceiling or not. I just tended to ignore it, to be honest. I just decided it wasn't there and that I I would keep going. Uh, And that takes a bit of resilience at times because inevitably you will, as a woman in your career, come up against challenges along the way. So I would say to any of those women that are out there, particularly the entrepreneurial women who I hugely admire, who are, are developing businesses in this current difficult climate, get very clear about what your own idea, what your own vision is. Get very focused on delivery. Get the right team of people around you. Uh, And essentially, don't brook opposition when you know what it is you want to do and don't allow yourself to be put off.
1: Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Julie O'Neill from Join the Dots. And I'd like to thank Julie for sharing her insights from a hugely successful career with us this morning.